Well, good morning. Glad that you're here today. Welcome to the, those of you who are with us online, whether you're watching right now live or you're catching this later in the day, we're glad that you're with us. This morning we're beginning a new series, and it's going to run through the month of March, ending on Easter, but it's designed to lead up to Easter. And the, the title of this series is Because Jesus. So we're looking at a bunch of ways that uh, Jesus' arrival, Jesus' ministry impacts us, and we're looking at some of the, the outworking of that and the benefits of that. So today we're talking about Because Jesus Calls. I'd like to read to you the primary passage we're looking at, which is from Luke chapter 5. You can follow along on your notes whether this is working behind me or not. Uh, we'll, we'll be fine. It's just one of those days, it seems. One day, as Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, the people were crowding around him and listening to the word of God. He saw at the water's edge two boats left there by the fishermen who were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, and he asked him to put out a little from shore. Then he sat down and taught the people from the boat. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into deep water and let down the nets for a catch. Simon answered, Master, we've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything, but because you say so, I will let down the nets. When they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. So they signaled their partners in the other boat to come and help them, and they came and filled both boats so full that they began to sink. When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me, Lord, for I am a sinful man. For he and all his companions were astonished at the catch of fish they had taken, and so were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, Simon's partners. Then Jesus said to Simon, don't be afraid, from now on you will fish for people. So they pulled up their boats on shore, left everything, and followed him. Join me in a prayer for a moment. Good morning, Lord. We have gathered here together to call on your name, to sing praises to you, to open the word together. While we may read during the week and, and we think about you, there's something that happens when together we pour over the pages of the Bible together asking for wisdom and instruction and for you to break through to us. It's in moments like this when we realize we're not alone, that we belong to a fellowship of others who are finding you or who've known you for a long time and who want to honor your name. When we look around the room, we realize that there are others who have found that there's nowhere to turn but to you in those moments when we need strength, when we need hope, when we need encouragement, when we need wisdom. Thank you for allowing us to have your word in our own language so that we can pour over each sentence thinking about what has happened in the past and how this impacts us in the present and how it leads us into the future. Thank you for being the God who forgives our sins. We don't have to hide them from you. We acknowledge them to you. And we give them over to you. And we know that when we do, you are faithful and just and you not only forgive us, but you cleanse us from the inside out. 
We long for all those things to happen so that we can walk back into our week of busyness and events and all the things that go on feeling cleaner, feeling set free. And we lay our burdens down before you. We recognize there are things that we carry in this life that we cannot solve, we cannot fix, or we cannot change by ourselves. And so we give over to you the burdens that we've been carrying, the sorrows that hold us back. And we also lift to you the names of people whom we've been praying for, who've asked us to pray that they might find your help and your power or where we know that their lives have run off the rails for a while and we're asking you to put people in their place who can model for them what a warm, winsome Christian faith is all about. Thank you for the ways that you've already worked in our lives. You put people in our pathways. You have shown us nuggets of truth that have led us to a better plan, a better pathway. Thank you for the ways that you've already answered prayers in our lives. We ask that you'd be at work in our world, in our country, in our towns, in our families, and in our homes. And right now we ask that you'd give us insight into your word that would encourage us and point us forward. In Jesus' name, amen. My wife Sue and I went to Wheaton College in Illinois, and we found after we graduated that there was an unofficial award that was humorously named after Chuck Colson at Wheaton. And Chuck Colson was the former counselor to President Nixon who served time after the Watergate scandal. During the Watergate mess, a friend of his, Raytheon CEO Tom Phillips, who was a a very strong Christian shared his faith story with Chuck. And Chuck listened that night, but he brushed aside Philip's offer. And as he was driving back to either home or the hotel where he was staying, he soon found that he had to drive off the road and, and, and pull off the road in the midst of a rainstorm. He pulled off the road because his eyes were beginning to fill up with tears because he realized what, what Tom Phillips had been saying was true. And that night as he sat at his car... In the midst of a rainstorm, in the midst of a mess because of the whole Watergate scandal, he turned his life over to Christ. Of course, the press lampooned him and they laughed. Oh, here goes another one, another crook who finds Jesus and is going to try and escape from responsibility. But after Chuck finished his prison sentence, he felt that God was calling him to go back and bring the gospel to prisoners. And so he started an organization that still survives him called Prison Fellowship. It became the largest prison ministry in the world. And he spent the rest of his life ministering to prisoners and their families, not just here in the United States, but all around the world. So I hope this doesn't offend our good friend Emily Colson, who's one of our members, but um, I first heard about the winner of the Chuck Colson Award one year when it was given to a friend of mine, Larry Ross, Larry was a college prankster who was just known for all kinds of outrageous gags. But after college, he became a communications specialist. And for about three decades, he was the official spokesman for Billy Graham. And then after Billy Graham died, for Rick Warren and a number of high-profile Christians. The award was given to the person who was least likely to end up in full-time Christian ministry. (laughs) 
the Colson Award. Now, here's my point, in, my point in telling you this. The Lord regularly calls people to join the mission of building the kingdom of God and sharing God's news around the world. And sometimes those people are the most unlikely people that you would expect from the beginning. So I think that my friends from Wheaton got something wrong. Rather than being surprised that God calls unlikely people, the longer that we share faith stories and we, we grow together and we learn about each other, it seems that the Lord routinely calls surprising, ordinary people into roles that have extraordinary results. And we're going to look at one of those today. This morning, we're launching a, a new series that we're calling Because Jesus. And each week, there'll be like a three-word title, Because Jesus something, and all the way until we talk about Because Jesus Lives on Easter Sunday morning. And we're going to look at several results or benefits of key aspects of Jesus' life and ministry here on the earth. This morning's topic is Because Jesus Calls. So let me welcome you. I'm glad that you're here today. Thanks for coming out on this rainy day. There was no better place to be right now than right here together anyway, uh, even with the rain. And for those of you who are online, I'm glad that you have taken the time, whether you're watching live right now or whenever you do this. We find out there are people who are watching all week long, sometimes people from other states or even other countries, and we're grateful for that. But as Derek mentioned earlier, send us a note, fill out a connection card. I'd love to hear from you. If you have questions about this morning's message, whether you're here in the room or you're watching online, send me an email, paul at northriverchurch.org. I'd love to dialogue with you about that. The question behind this morning's message is this. What if Jesus asked you to follow? We just read about how he asked Simon Peter to follow him and he gets up and he leaves his boat, and he leaves his nets, he leaves his business behind, and he follows Jesus. What if Jesus asks you to follow in some way? So I'd like to walk you through three observations uh, around this theme of because Jesus calls, and then we're going to ask the so what question. What do you do if Jesus does call you? Here's the first observation. People naturally crowd around Jesus. Verse 1 of Luke 5 says, One day, as Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, the people were crowding around him and listening to the word of God. Now, this is a very simple observation, but on this particular day, we find people crowding on the shores, on the beach of the, the Sea of Galilee, also known as the Sea of Gennesaret. The first two, few chapters of Luke's gospel follow Jesus' birth in his early ministry years. In chapter 4, he was tested by uh, the, the evil one in the wilderness, and then he preached at his home synagogue in Nazareth and was rejected there. And now as chapter 5 opens, we find Jesus on the shores in the province of Galilee, and he is walking along the lake as crowds of people gather around him. Uh, we shouldn't be surprised that there are different names for this lake. Sometimes you'll find it called the Sea of Galilee, even though it's not a sea, it's a large lake. And other times it's called the, the Lake of Gennesaret. So don't get spooked by all of that. In Old Testament times, the same lake was known as Kinnereth, which was a Hebrew name. Gennesaret was taken from another town on the northeastern shores, and Galilee was the region that it fell in, so at another time it became known as the Sea of Galilee. Even later on, when the Romans came and dominated the land, they renamed it, and they called it the uh, Sea of Tiberias after Tiberius Caesar. So four different names, one lake, same body of water. 
Luke and Mark's Gospels tell us that the crowds began to follow Jesus as he was teaching about the kingdom of God. They were hearing something that was new, something that was fascinating, and he taught in a way that had authority, like he actually knew something about the kingdom of God, not just that he read about it on the pages of a book. Living in the shadow of the Roman Empire, which controlled Israel, the people were hungry for good news of better days, which made the words of Jesus stand out even more. We should not be surprised that people flock to Jesus today. In a world of shameless self-promoters, Jesus continues to be the epitome of humility. And his words carried that aura of authenticity, like someone who really knew what he was talking about and who knew God, and he spoke with words that came from God himself. So it shouldn't surprise us that there were crowds of people who were drawn to him. Added to that, he spoke in ways that could heal or change the direction of a person's life. When crowds of people are drawn to Jesus today, they're looking for the same thing. They long to find healing over things they cannot change. They long to find wisdom for a better way of living. They long to find a way into God's favor and into God's grace. This is also why hucksters, skeptics, and false teachers claim Jesus too. They know that crowds of people lean in to learn more about Jesus, so some of them want to co-opt those crowds for their own purposes or for their own gain. So Jesus taught the crowds out of compassion and calling, all the while knowing that crowds can be fickle, like the crowds that cheered him on Palm Sunday and then turned around and jeered him on Good Friday as he was handed over to Governor Pilate to be crucified. You ought to know that we have a long-standing agreement around here at North River. When crowds show up, especially those who don't go to church very often, and they will at the end of this month. You'll see Sunday mornings growing, and we're going to do three services on Easter Sunday morning. We're going to move the times a little bit. We want to make sure that we give people the real Jesus. It's why those of us who are regulars around here are willing to shift our times a little bit on Easter Sunday to make room for more people, right? You with me on that? I'm just giving you a heads up. That's where we're going. For at least 20 years or more on Sunday mornings, there's been a habit that you don't see that happens before the service starts. After the worship team rehearses their music, we have a team that sits down in the back of the room and we go through a checklist of all the things that need to happen on Sunday morning. And then when we're done, people put their hands in like a football team and, and put our hands into the middle and somebody leads the cheer and we say, go give them Jesus or go give them heaven. And so this month, we're all about go and giving people Jesus, and we invite you into that team. Think about who may want to come with you as we march through this series. Don't wait for Easter. Get them started sooner, but let's fill the place, and let's celebrate the resurrection. I find that every year as we go through this season and this, this ramp up towards Easter, there are people who come here with a friend out of curiosity, who by the end of the month have made a commitment to follow Jesus, and they're part of the, the regular team for the rest of that year. Let's look forward to what God is going to do with some of our friends and family members this month. You with me on that? Yeah. Let's do it. Let's do it. Here's a second observation. We see here how Jesus calls ordinary people. So look at verses 2 and 3. He saw at the water's edge two boats left there by the fishermen who were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, and asked him to put out a little from shore then he sat down and taught the people from the boat. At the outset, 
Simon Peter had no idea that he would become part of this story. As the crowd on the shore became larger, Jesus noticed these two empty boats on the shore. He climbs into one of them while the fishermen are standing by there washing their nets. So think of all the seaweed and all the junk that collects on their nets. They're getting them ready for the next day. If they have to mend the nets where they've torn, they're doing that so that maybe the next night that they go out, they'll have a better chance of, of catching fish. And he asked Peter to put his boat out a little bit into the water so that he can teach from the boat as more and more people crowd onto the shore. I get this picture that there were so many people that he was feeling pressed right into the sea. All we know about Peter at this moment was that he was an ordinary worker, a fisherman. We learn that he and his brother Andrew ran their father's fishing business. They had two other partners, also brothers named James and John, and they were from fishing families in this town of Capernaum, a town on the Galilean shore. And as Jesus calls Peter, all four of them end up following Jesus as disciples. In calling Peter, Jesus demonstrated some of his unusual power and authority. First, he asks Peter to push his boat out into the water so that he can teach from there. Then, when he's done teaching, he tells Peter to put the boat out a bit deeper and throw the nets out again. And I love the dialogue that begins to happen between Peter and Jesus at this point. It's likely that Jesus had noticed these guys were fishing, uh, were cleaning their nets after a night of fishing, but there were no signs of fish anywhere. Text doesn't say anything about baskets of fish or even a small basket with a few fish they caught. They got nothing that night. And so when he tells Peter to throw his nets again into the water, Jesus surprised Peter. And Peter's compliance led to such a voluminous catch that Peter realized that Jesus had been sent by God. Nobody could perform a miracle like this unless it was empowered by God. And so his call was confirmed by this miraculous catch of fish. In what ways was Peter unlikely or ordinary? Well, he didn't have a highly educated background. He was likely a young man, probably still in his 20s. All the Jewish boys in that town would have started off being taught by the rabbi, but the rabbi each year would keep only the best of the best, and he would send the others back to their fathers, and he would say, go ply your trade. So Peter had no doubt heard those words from the rabbi. You're not one of the best of the best. Go ply your trade. Go, go into the fishing business with your dad. And all the others would have heard those same words. And now Peter himself voices his surprise when he hears these words from Jesus. And he says, go away from me, Lord. I'm a sinful man. Jesus was just, uh, Peter was just like us. He was an ordinary guy who had all kinds of problems and was amazed that Jesus wanted to use him. How wonderful it is that Jesus calls on unlikely, ordinary people. Third observation. The first is that people naturally crowd around Jesus. The second is we see how Jesus calls ordinary people. Here's the third. He calls us to join him in his work. Verse 8. When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me, Lord. I am a sinful man. For he and all his companions were astonished at the catch of fish they had taken. And so were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, Simon's partners. Then he said to Simon, Don't be afraid. From now on, you will fish for people. 
So they pulled their boats up on shore, left everything, and followed him. Notice how Jesus tied Peter's skills as a fisherman to the call that he gives him. The call of Jesus is always to follow him. But verse 11 makes, makes clear this is what Peter did, that he left his business in order to follow Jesus, but he took those skills with him. Mark's gospel adds these words from Jesus, come follow me and I will send you out to fish for men. So the call is always to follow Jesus. Jesus takes Peter's skill and passion for fishing and he makes that a platform for ministry. He knows that if you're fishing, you have to be patient. So you have to do some things over and over again. And every once in a while, there's a response that surprises you. So it will be in his ministry as well. And from now on, though, he will be fishing for men and women with the gospel of Jesus, not for fish in the sea to sell. In a way that fit him, Jesus was calling Peter to join him in his mission work. Peter didn't have to create his own role or ministry team. Jesus would supply on-the-job training. He would learn by partnering with Jesus and by joining Jesus on this mission team. And not only does Peter join, but his brother Andrew comes along and also his two business, business partners, James and John. Jesus continues to invite people onto his mission team today. We start by responding in faith and by answering the gentle, soft call that he gives us, just like Peter did. We learn on the job as we train with others, often using the skills and gifts that he's given us that work in the marketplace. Now, we have some classes here that we teach regularly. Our 301 class helps you discover what your spiritual gifts are. Our 401 class helps you learn how to tell your unique story about God's work in your life. Why bother taking these classes? Simple reason. You learn how God has wired you up to be a part of his mission because God is continually calling and involving us and inviting us onto the team. I've seen this process work in, in my own ministry calling. I was the last kid in high school that you ever would have expected to be doing what I'm doing today. I never spoke up in class. I sat in the back row every time that I could. And when the time came for me to stand up in front of class, I was terrified. I nearly, uh, nearly flunked my college speech class because I would get lockjaw when I started to speak in a class because the fear was so great. And then I had a professor who, who worked with me at one, one point and helped relieve some of that. But I started to have these thoughts when I was in high school. I was a 14-year-old kid sitting in church, and I was watching how the, the church of my youth, where I grew up in Weymouth, was losing my generation. And the thought hit me, I know this is true, but there has to be a better way to say this. I didn't know what to do with that as a 14-year-old kid. I was terrified by that thought. When I got to college, I majored in biblical studies because I wanted to understand the Bible better for myself. But you know what God does when you understand something better for yourself? He puts somebody in your path that you get to teach that to, who, who wants to learn from you. And so an opportunity arose when a friend on the track team invited me to come teach a group of ninth and 10th grade boys in a Fellowship of Christian Athletes program in a local high school. These kids were enamored with with college students, and because I did football and track, they thought that was a big deal. And then he, I said, okay, what time do we do that? He said, well, we leave at 5.30 in the morning. College kids don't get up at 5.30 in the morning. 
But we would leave at 5.30 in the morning to get the donuts. We'd show up at a, at a local home about 10 miles away, and we had these boys that then filled the living room for 45, 50 minutes. And for two years, we discipled these ninth and 10th grade boys with the stuff that we were learning as like 19 and 20-year-olds. And then that led to other opportunities to begin to speak in churches. I came home that summer, and I sought a meeting with, with the pastor of our church who'd, who'd been there my whole life. And, and I said, I'm getting some opportunities to speak in, in churches. And I'm, I'm wondering what God is doing with this. He said, well, we're going to find out. We're going to give you the last Sunday night service in the summer. And before you go back to college, you're going to do the, the message on Sunday. You want to talk about terrifying. That was absolutely, I had, nobody had taught me how to preach or anything like that. I did something that I'd never do again. I thought it was terrible at the end of that night, he says, this was great. We're going to have you do this again next summer when you come home again. And I just kept going through open doors as God opened doors. And every time I went through, there was another opportunity on the other side. And God began to give me a desire to learn how to teach the Bible in a way that could benefit other people. Here's the big idea for this morning. Jesus routinely calls ordinary people to follow him by joining his mission with extraordinary results. We're not in control of the results. All we're in control of is our own faithfulness when the call comes. The results are up to him. Peter had no idea that there would be such extraordinary results. And Jesus was showing him from that day, from that miracle of the catch of fish that almost swamped two boats, that he was capable of doing things that were unimaginable. Okay, so here's the question. What do you do when Jesus calls? I'd like to walk you through five thoughts about when Jesus calls you to step forward in some way. First, you will find a desire to know him more. There's a scene from John chapter 6 where uh, a number of the followers of Jesus were leaving him. He started to teach some darker things, that he was going to be arrested and handed over, and eventually that, that he would die. And as, as he's teaching them the, the fact that he's going to shed his blood and he's going to give up his own body for us, some of them walk away. In John chapter 6, verses 60 to 71, we find this time when disciples were walking away from Jesus to the point where there's only the original 12 left. And Jesus asked them, do you want to leave me too? And you know who speaks up? Of course, it's Peter, the one who, who always seems to give that outburst of what he was thinking. And it says in verse 68, Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. In other words, he's saying, there's nobody else who has what you have, Jesus. You will find a desire to know him more. Nothing else will satisfy that spot. That's why Peter spoke up. Second thing that will happen, you will have to rearrange your priorities. When God taps you on the shoulder to get involved in a ministry, to join his team in some, some way, he will routinely ask you to change something in your life. So look what happens here back in, in chapter 5, Luke 5, verse uh, 10. Jesus says to Simon, don't be afraid. From now on, you will fish for people. So they pulled their boats up on shore, left everything, and followed him. Simon Peter, his brother Andrew, and his two friends James and John, they left their boats on the shore that day. 
and they rearrange their priorities to follow Jesus. Now, most of us will not have to leave your jobs or leave your homes or leave the place where you live in order to follow Jesus because he calls us to do things that are right in our own communities. But we will all have to rearrange our priorities in order to put him first. You know why? Because everything else competes with Jesus. Everything else in our lives wants to be dominant. And if you're going to put him first, you have to change some priorities in order to do that. So when he calls, get ready for this. You're going to have to make some adjustments. Third thing that will happen, he will expect you to follow. So we read in verses uh, 4 and 5 here in, in, in Luke 5, when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into deep water and let down the nets for a catch. Simon answered, Master, we've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything, but because you say so, I will let down the nets. Now think of it. Peter's a professional fisherman. He knew these waters, and so he started to play the expert card. Jesus, what did you do for work when you were younger? Oh, you were a carpenter, and you're going to tell me how to fish. I know these waters. We have been out all night long. There were no fish here. But then he thinks about what he's just seen. He thinks about how he's heard Jesus teaching on the beach. And then he says these really amazing words. Because you say so, I will. Those are the words of a follower. We all think we're experts about something that we can teach to Jesus when he comes and he tells us to rearrange our priorities because he wants us on the team. Oh, but Jesus, I do all these other things that are so important. Oh, but Jesus, you don't know how busy my life is. Oh, but Jesus. And what he's waiting to hear from us is, okay, this looks backward to me. This looks like it doesn't make sense. But because you are the master, because you say so, I will. Would you say those words with me? But because you say so, I will. I'm just getting you ready for when he calls because that's the response that he's looking for. All right, this doesn't seem to make sense. All my friends are going to think I'm nuts. My family are going to think I'm nuts because I'm changing my priorities. I'm changing the pattern that they're used to. But because you say so, I will. Fourth, he will take you into deeper waters. Verse 4 says, when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into deep water and let down the nets. This is the specific command that he gives to Simon Peter. Put out into deep water. Jesus didn't have any shallow water things in mind for Peter that day. That's often what we want. We want the shallow water orders and commands. But what he says is, no, I want you to put out into deeper water, Peter, because it's out there where you're going to see God work. He had to put his boat out into deeper waters to see God's power on display. It is very likely that when Jesus calls you, he will take you to deeper waters. He will ask you to do something that stretches you. You'll think it's not possible. You'll think it's beyond your ability. And you know what it is. But it's not beyond his ability to work through you. It's not beyond his ability to strengthen you in the process. And he is always at work stretching us, stretching our imagination, stretching our capacity, stretching our ability to trust him. And it's in those moments that God works in significant ways when he takes you into deeper water in your life. Really, if you want God 
to be at work in your life. You do not want God doing shallow things. You want God doing deep water things in your life because then you know it's really God who's at work. And in those deeper waters, you'll see the Lord work like never before. So don't be surprised when he takes you into whatever the deeper water is for you. And then fifth, he will confirm his calling. Verse six says, when they had done so, in other words, when they put the nets out, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. Okay, why did Jesus lead Peter and his partners into such a great haul of fish? The simple answer is that Jesus was confirming his calling to Peter. There were so many fish that they nearly swamped not just one boat, but two boats together. He had to call his friends to bring their boat out off the shore, get out here fast, and together they had to haul all these fish in. Their freshly cleaned nets began to break from the weight of the catch. Peter soon knew that if Jesus could do that, he really could make them fishers of men and women. And his mind began to open up to the fact that God was going to do something powerful and unique that the world is still talking about. The Lord often confirms his calling when you read through the scriptures. With Moses, that came when the Lord turned his staff into a snake. Remember that? And then he says, take it by the tail. And he grabs the snake by the tail. It becomes a snake again. And with that staff, God did great things for the life of Moses. With Gideon, it was when the ground was dry and his fleece was soaked with dew overnight. With Mary, the confirmation came when she met with her cousin Elizabeth and found that Elizabeth, well beyond the years of childbearing, was carrying a son too, and that would become John the Baptist. And she also found that the Lord's word was confirmed when the Magi showed up to worship Jesus in Bethlehem. Often the Lord's confirmation comes through the encouragement of other people. Along the way, somebody will say, keep going in that direction. This is having an impact on me. Or they'll say, you know what, you're getting better. That's what they said to me for a while. You're getting better, which means it wasn't that good the last time, but it was a little bit better today. Stay at it long enough, and maybe it'll be good. But if you never hear that, you should not think that you should be a preacher, okay? If there's no encouragement along the way that it's helping somebody, you probably ought to do something else and think, maybe I got the call wrong. Maybe he's calling me into a different way of expressing that gift. With me, that confirmation came from other people who gave me the next opportunity. I'm told that the Marines have a saying, what is the reward for a job well done? The next job. In other words, more opportunity. And that will often be the way that the Lord confirms his calling for you and me. He invites us to join him in more and more of his work. God is still doing today what he did with Peter on the shores of Galilee. It's just that you have different tools that he wants to use. Jesus routinely calls ordinary people to follow him by joining his mission, often with extraordinary results. And when he calls, what are we going to say? But because you say so, I will. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for allowing us to be here on this rainy morning. Thank you for allowing us to pour over this snapshot from the interaction between Peter and Jesus. And we ask 
that you would call each of us into the roles that you want us to carry as part of your mission team in reaching our generation with the gospel of Jesus. Prepare our hearts. Prepare our schedules for rearrangement. Prepare our words that after we pick ourselves up off the floor from the astonishment, that you want to use even us, that we'll be able to say, Lord, I will, because you say so. Lord, we also pray for our friends and neighbors who need to hear the gospel. Prepare them too for when the time is right, because there are all kinds of people that we meet in this life who still need to be liberated. They're walking around like they are chained into misery, that they are held back and held down, and they need to be freed to really live the life that you want us to live. Use us in that process to the glory of God. It's in Jesus' name we pray.